How's everybody doing this morning? Good, 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 good. Awesome. I don't know any better way to get excited than to watch videos of stick figure armies marching together. That just gets me pumped up. In fact, we're going to practice. Today is the finale of the Unstoppable series, so we're all going to line up in the parking lot and march after service. I'm just kidding. That's not going to happen. Not going to happen. You guys want to hear a funny story? Um, so, you know, God has a way of humbling you whenever you've, you've arrived at a position of pride or arrogance in any certain area. And, and when we were raising my, my daughter, not that she's raised, but when she was a baby, when she was a newborn, uh, dad was always, I was pretty good at like getting her to sleep and into her crib at night. And, uh, and so my wife, she was pretty tired last night. We've got our, our new baby boy at home and It'll be three weeks on Tuesday, but she was worn out, I could tell, and she was like, oh, he still needs a bath, and I was like, I'll tell you what, you, you finish feeding him, you go get in bed, I'll, I got the bath, I'll get him to bed, I got this, I got this, it's all good. So, uh, actually did well, man, got him all bathed, all cleaned up, you know, he's all, and usually he cries during baths, ever since he's, even at the hospital before we brought him home, he just Sarah didn't. Sarah was always very calm during baths, but he was, he was just like, wah, just wails, doesn't like the water. And, um, but he wasn't last night. He's just all chill and just relaxing. I'm like, um, you know, I'm using the, the little cloth and I'm like, oh yeah, dad's got it going on. Check it out. Well, the thing we're starting to learn about him is when he gets chilled, it's because he's working on something. And, um, so I'm just thinking, Dad has got it. I've got it figured out. I'm like, oh, that's right. You, you're going to want Daddy to do all your baths from now on, aren't you, son? I'm just talking to him, and I'm, you know, I'm living in the moment. Get him all cleaned up. Get him in this, you know, his special towel. Get the hood over. Roll up the towel, and I'm holding him. And I'm like, that was a good bath. Was I'm talking, I'm literally, I'm standing in my kitchen. I'm like, that was a good bath, wasn't it? He's just like, ah. And then all of a sudden, I hear this sound. He doesn't have a diaper on yet. And my hand suddenly feels very full and warm <laughs> down on this end. And uh, so, needless to say, I, uh, I go, I did one of these. Uh, honey, are you in bed yet? I need a hand here. So, dad's, n- I don't have it all figured out yet. So, but I thought I'd just tell you about that because... It was funny to me, and um, I'm not sure we'll ever use that towel again, because he tore it up. All right. So, he's all boy. All right. Well, we are going to finish up the, the Unstoppable series today, and I'm really, really, really excited about what happens seven days from today. Anybody know what that is? Easter Sunday, man. Easter Sunday. Now, um, when you get ready to plant a church, especially if you go through the ark like we did, there's a ton of training that you go through, and there's all these statistics that they throw at you and, and that they tell you are probably going to be the trends. And, and for us, most of them have been pretty much right on exactly what everybody said they would be, which I'll tell you this is actually a win for us being in this kind of I-95 northeastern part of the country because the majority of their church plants were in the south where if you announce you're starting a church, a thousand people show up. And uh, that's not like that up here. Um, if you announce you're starting a church, a thousand people might show up, but it's probably to stone you. So it's, it's just different. All right. It's a different culture. I'm kidding. It's not that bad, but uh, it's close. And um, so, so, so one of the big statistics that was taught to us about new churches is Easter Sunday specifically. They say it takes three, four, maybe even five years before you're the church that people bring their friends and family to because they've kind of got some traditions that are established on Easter. So don't expect large crowds on Easter for your first few years. And so what I want to say to you is this. That is one of the statistics that I would love to buck the trend on. You with me? You with me? All right. So here's what I'm I'm asking you from the bottom of my heart as as your pastor. I, I really don't know what else to do to get seats full except to just keep asking you to grab everybody you know who might possibly be interested in checking out church in a movie theater and drag them here with you. And here's what I can promise you about Easter Sunday next Sunday. It's going to be fun. It's going to be creative. Um, Our worship guys and our creative arts uh, department have some really cool stuff planned. Um, My message is going to be very life-giving, very uh, freedom-oriented about just the freedom that people can have if they step into a life with Christ. 
and, uh, and, and I promise you, it will be, you will not be embarrassed to bring friends and family with you next Sunday. So I'm, I'm just asking you from the bottom of my heart to do everything you possibly can to help me fill some seats next Sunday for Easter. Will you, will you help me with that? Yes? <laughs> Clap, excitement, something. Let me know that you're with me on that. Are you, can you help me with that next Sunday? All right, good. Good, good, good. All right. So, so Easter, big deal, big day. And there, listen, there's lots of people who won't step foot in a church except for Easter, Christmas. And it's a great opportunity for us to present Jesus Christ. Uh, a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth about church. In fact, I don't know if I should or shouldn't do this, but well, I'm going to anyway. Raise your hand if you had a bad taste in your mouth about church until you came to True Life. Just raise your hand. Do it. Okay, so you'll see that it's, it's easily, and some of these guys aren't raised like, like all of the worship team. Um, uh, so it's easily half our crowd, um, if not more. And I, that, we're, not, that doesn't, we're not better than other churches, all right? We haven't figured something out or something magical. It's just there's a specific anointing on new churches, on new church plants to reach people who haven't gotten connected anywhere else. And so we just want to take advantage of that while God is doing that in our church. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. All right. So well, let's get into the word today. Let's finish up the unstoppable series. It feels like my voice is echoing more than normal. Is it? No? All right. It feels like it's bouncing off the wall back there and coming back to me. But that's okay. It makes it feel like a much larger room than it really is. So I might just preach it harder. So, so, uh, so yeah, we're finishing up this series called Unstoppable today. We've been casting a lot of vision, talking about our church and what God has called us to do. Have you guys enjoyed the series so far? Those of you who have been here? Yes? All right. And uh, we've been... <laughs> We've been talking about the importance of being aware of and unified around a God-inspired vision. In fact, we kind of kicked it off talking about this scripture from Proverbs that says, where there is no supernatural God-inspired vision, the people kind of get crazy. They, the Bible says they throw off restraint. They get weird. And, and, uh, and so we talked about how we don't want to be that kind of church. We want to have vision that we're all united around and that we're all chasing together. And the big idea has been that we're all partners in this to, to create this call that's on us to create an unstoppable church like the one we see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And if I'm not going to read that scripture today for the sake of time, but if you haven't, uh, you should. You should go check out that scripture where we see that what the early church looks like in this, where the, the local church as we know it today is actually it was birthed there in Acts chapter 2. And so if you've never read that passage of scripture, you should. You should. You should check that out, and uh, you should check out the audio from the last few weeks. If you haven't been in service, go get caught up as soon as we get caught up, and, um, and it'll help you, all right? We've been reminding you each week about our mission as a church, and so here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to start the message today by all of us just saying this together, and we did this last week, and, and you've got to say it loud and strong and, and like you really mean it, so throw it up there, Todd, and let's read it together. It says, we exist to lead people. All right, we're going to start over because you got to do it with me. All right, you ready? Here we go. Come on, say it. We exist to lead people to a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and to become fully devoted followers of Christ. I sped it up on you, didn't I? It's not fair. Not fair. I was in a hurry. I'm sorry. All right, so and that's on your notes. If you haven't filled it in already, you can do that. Go ahead and do that. And, uh, and that is why we exist. If we had to sum it up as why we exist as a church, we exist to lead people to a life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ and to become fully devoted followers of Christ. That's why we're here. It's why God has called us to do this. It's why we started True Life Church. And, uh, and so here, here's a, the big question that I want to ask everyone this morning. And everybody's got to participate, all right? So, so by show of hands, I want you to answer this question. How many of you feel called to ministry? Just raise your hand. I feel called to ministry. Hold your hand up. Hold it up real high. All right. Lead team, I want you to look around, get into recruiting mode right now. Get, get some. We get, this is our next crop of workers. Hold them up. They're not done counting you. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Uh, we got some cards we need you to fill out. No. Actually, if you do feel called to ministry... Uh, you should fill out a connection card at least and let us know that you want to get involved and serve and we'll teach you how to do that. We have a track for doing that, getting involved here. So, so that's kind of a setup that, that I asked that question because I want to read this piece of scripture to you and I want you to think about it as we read it. It's Ephesians chapter 4 
verse 11 and 12, and it says, And he gave the apostles. Who's he? God, Jesus, all right? He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers, or in some translations you might see the word pastors there. So Paul is writing and he's saying, hey, God created all of these different leadership roles within the local church. And, and what he's about to do is, this is one of the most famous scriptures for defining kind of what my role is and what Joel and Brian and Alex's role are as pastors, as leaders, as shepherds within our church. This is our primary role. This is our, our primary function, our job. It says, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints. Now, who are the saints? That's right, everybody else. Everybody who loves Jesus. Everybody who has a relationship with Jesus, you're the saints. All right, so who are the saints? Us. All right, there you go. So, so my job is to equip you for the what work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. So after reading that scripture, hopefully, hopefully you got it. The light bulb came on. Let me ask this question again. How many feel called to ministry? Every hand should be up. Every single hand. Because if, if I'm doing my job, my job is to equip you for what? For the work of ministry and to build the body of Christ. So let's try again. Let's make sure we get it. Raise your hand if you feel called to ministry. It's because we all are. We're all called to ministry. Now, now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but I don't want to, like, I like my job, and I don't want to do your job, and I don't want to work in a church full time. And here's what I want to say to you. Chances are you'll have more kingdom impact by never working for a church full time than you would if you dropped everything and started giving all of your time and hours and energy to the church right now today. Because being called to ministry is not as much about your career path and what you do. It's more a condition of your heart. And when we understand that all of us are called, we are all called to work within the kingdom and to do ministry together, there's a mentality shift. Remember we talked about last week that too many of us think that we should come to church and church is for us. And that's the wrong mentality. The correct mentality is to say we are the church and we exist for the world. I'm going to say it again. That's a great place to amen right there. The wrong mentality is to say that the church exists for me. The right mentality is to say that we are the church and we exist for the world. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good job. I am going to teach you all how to amen one, day, one, day, one way or the other. So all of us are called to ministry. I don't want you, don't quit your job. Don't quit your job tomorrow and blame me. Don't. Don't do that. Most of us in this room will have far greater impact for Jesus not working for a church. But if I'm called to prepare you for ministry, and that's what I'm called to, then you're definitely supposed to be participating in it. Everybody say, I am called. You're called. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are called to the work of ministry. And our job is to equip you, to set you up, to get you pointed in the right direction. Here's the other thing that a lot of people wrestle with. We have these thoughts. As soon as we said that, as soon as I said, you're called to ministry, you're called to do something in the local church, we start thinking, but, but, but I have so many issues I'm not qualified for that. I need more. I need, here's, here's a, a, a word I've heard several times in conversations with people. Before I can do anything in the church to, to help others and serve others, I, I, I need more nurturing and more care and more just love me and make me feel special. And, and I just want to say, stop it. Put your big boy pants on, your big girl pants on. Pick up the Bible, start eating the word of God, start feeding yourself and plug into the local church and help us build the kingdom together because you, you, the church doesn't exist just for you to sit in the seat. We are the church and we exist for the world. Now you're, now you're with me, now you're waking up. Maybe I just wasn't preaching as good earlier. All right. You may have heard some version of this saying before and I want to say it to you again this, this morning because it's so true and, and we should take it to heart. God doesn't call the prepared, 
but he prepares the called. God doesn't call the prepared, but he prepares the called. And many of us will spend our entire lives frozen, scared stiff, believing that God can't use us, God can't do anything with us, that we're too bad, that our past is too dirty, and, and, and our, the, there's too many skeletons in our closet, and, and I, 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 what if I mess up, God? What if I, what if I disappoint you? What if I displease you? And so we'll actually spend our lives just frozen like a statue, and we'll never actually add any value to the kingdom. And, and actually what happens is we begin to turn inward. And we actually begin to blame others and we begin to blame all of our circumstances and our situations for the fact that we're miserable because we've never found God's calling, his specific purpose, his specific plan for our lives. And whenever you're saved and you have, listen, here, I want to tell you something, deep, dark secret. You ready? When you get saved, it's still possible to be miserable. You can have Jesus on the inside and look like death on the outside. It's possible. How? Because you get disconnected from the call that God has for your life. The moment you give your heart to Jesus, he begins drawing you towards a specific plan. He was drawing you towards it before you gave your heart to him. The Bible says the Holy Spirit is at work on the earth, drawing men to him. That's what he does. It's his role here on the planet. So before you were born, God had a specific plan and purpose for you. And I'm just telling you, you can have Jesus on the inside but until you start moving into the plan and the call and the purpose that God designed specifically for you, you can still, you can have Jesus, love Jesus, and be miserable. Ever met a mean Christian? I was one. I, I was one this morning. Ask Dan. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I want to look at this series of scriptures that involves this guy who's, kind of ordinary, who's not qualified, and who kind of has a tendency to open his mouth and make a mess out of things, so I can relate to that. And I want to look at this series of scriptures that concern this guy named Peter in the New Testament, because he was the ultimate, like, ordinary dude that ended up getting used by God to change the world. So I want to start in Acts chapter 4, verse 14, verse 13, I'm sorry. And it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. And you might want to just underline that in your notes or maybe even in your Bible if you aren't against writing in your Bible or highlight it on your version. That ordinary men and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So, so what's happening here is the, the religious establishment that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these guys are constantly playing this cat and mouse game with, with the followers of Jesus in the early church. Because they, they hated them. They were wreaking havoc on the religious establishment. And, and so here's, here's Peter. They had actually just taken part in, in, in some miracles that were happening. And he's, Peter's talking, and he actually accuses them. He says, hey... The guy that you crucified is the son of God, and y'all messed up. That's basically the conversation that Peter's having here. And they're astonished at the boldness that Peter and John have. And I just love that it says they're unschooled, ordinary men, and then they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Now, what I really want you to look at is that word ordinary, unschooled, because if we look at the Greek, if we look at the original Greek text that the Bible was written in, the, the guys who translated this into English were actually being nice. They were trying to be nice. That's why they chose the word ordinary. But the actual Greek word is a word called idiotes. Idiotes. Which translated literally means an ignoramus. An ignorant or unlearned person. Or the English word we have for it, an idiot. And that's why the, the title of our message today is, is Unstoppable Idiots. Because I want you to think about this. The religious establishment looked at Peter and said, he's an idiot. What did Jesus say to Peter? Upon this rock, I'll build my church. 
And so to all of you today who are thinking, I'm not qualified and I'm not smart enough and I haven't studied the Bible enough and how could God ever use me and I'm too scared and I'm too shy and how, how could God ever take my life and do anything meaningful with it? I'm an idiot. I just want to say to you, that's awesome. You're in the perfect position for God to do something extraordinary with your life. I want you to think about this. When Jesus came to set up and establish his church, he did not call one member of the religious establishment. He did not have one Pharisee or Sadducee or temp priest, uh, temple, temple priest that he called to be a disciple and, and walk alongside him. He, he shows up and calls these ordinary men, unschooled, unlearned men, and he says, hey, if you guys will just be idiots enough to believe that everything I say is true and follow me with all of your hearts, we're going to do something that will change the world. I want to be an idiot for Jesus. That's actually not insulting because if I'm just this regular ordinary guy and extraordinary things come out of my life, I can't get credit for that. Only Jesus can. And that's what I want for you, is for you to walk out of here today and go, you know what, I don't care if I ever get a pat on the back for anything. If people look at my life and see that Jesus did something extraordinary with someone who nothing extraordinary should have come from, I'll take that. That's a good place to clap and get all crazy and Pentecostal. I'm standing in front of you today and I'm asking you to join me in being an idiot for Jesus. True Life Church is called to be an unstoppable army of idiots. It's true. It's, it's, it's who we're called to be. Because I want our community... Listen, I made a phone call this last week because Newark Day is coming up. And uh, we, we'll, do a, we'll give you all a chance to participate in that. And, and uh, we'll do a booth out there and give away some water and some different things. But... I noticed last year at New York Day that they have some bands that were playing. And uh, quite frankly, the sound equipment wasn't very good. So I called the people in charge of New York Day and I said, listen, um, we, we actually genuinely love our city. And we have this trailer full of gear that we use on Sundays. And so if it would help you, I, I won't charge you a penny. I will bring all of our church's sound equipment and our stage We'll set it up for New York Day and we'll serve the city because it's not getting used during the week. And, and we would actually love to do that for the city of New York. And this lady, you'd have thought, I'd, you'd have, I mean, I could literally, I think I heard her jaw on the other end of the phone. And she was so excited. She was like, that is so awesome. Nobody's ever offered to do anything for the, for the city or help us in any way like that. She was like, unfortunately, we've already contracted a company for a couple of years so that we're stuck with them but we do have some other events where where maybe you guys could help us could i could i email you or call you when we have some other events going on and 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 maybe we just need some help or some volunteers could could i reach out to you and would you help us then yeah awesome she's like so what do you want us to like to advertise for you no we just want to serve our community and show them that we, like we actually, I said this to her, I said, you're, you probably aren't going to believe this. You're probably going to think I have some agenda, but we, in our church, we actually just love our community and we want to do nice stuff for them. She's like, that's amazing. <laughs> she might've been thinking, you bunch of idiots. <laughs> we could pay you to do that if you're willing to do it for free. So I want to give you just a couple things. This is actually going to be really quick this morning because I want us to have a, a, a moment at the end of the service today where I, I actually want to pray over you and commission you today to, to go into your world. And as, as, as goofy as it sounds, I actually want to commission you to go be idiots for Jesus. Because it's, listen, I am so tired. We talked about last week that Christianity has become too much me, not enough we. And I am just, I'm sick and tired of a culture where we have Sunday, we sing songs, we're a Christian for a day, and Monday comes, and we go right back to being the same old person. 
what a cheap version of the gospel that is. It's, it sickens me to think of it that way. And I'm calling you to be people and to be a church who actually look like and live like Jesus Monday to Saturday. And I'm telling you that responsibility is not on me. We can preach great messages. We can pray the paint off the walls. We can have great music. We could get creative. But if we as a body don't lock arms together and step out into the world on Monday and say, you know what? I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if I mess up or I fail. I believe God has called me to do something. I believe God has, has given me a specific purpose. I'm in my job because God put me here for a reason. And there's people in, that I work with. There's coworkers who need to see the love of Jesus Christ in my life. He's put me next to these neighbors who get on my nerves and drive me crazy for a reason. So instead of complaining about them, I'm going to show them the love of Christ. And I'm actually going to be Jesus with skin on to the world around me. If that's the kind of church that we're going to be, I'm interested in leading that. But everything else, I'm just tired of it. Just, I'm just tired of it. Because if I can be real honest with you, I grew up in church been around that my entire life and started True Life Church because I was convinced that we could create a culture where we didn't just become meistic, self-centered, Bible-reading dorks. I, I read an article this morning. Let me just address this for you. Anybody, got, anybody heard of a guy by the name of Rob Bell? Anybody familiar with this guy at all? So few of you. A lot of our college crowd would probably be, but they're on spring break today. Pray they're not sinning. I mean, not, not that anybody in our church would ever do anything bad. I don't know. I'm not here. But Rob Bell went, on to, went into an interview and basically affirmed same-sex marriage this week. And, and so this is a guy who started out as a, you know, an, evangelist, an evangelistic gospel preaching guy. And let me just say this about Rob. I've met Rob for about 30 seconds. Um, nice guy from what I could tell. I've heard him preach. I was standing, standing ovation at one of the messages I heard him give because it was one of the most beautifully put together messages about the life of Jesus Christ I'd ever heard. But it is possible to get off track and, and to lose sight of what is and what is not in the Bible. And I just want you to know here at True Life, everything always comes back to what is and what is not in the Bible. And so there's two sides to this, all right? Did, did Rob make a mistake? Yeah, he did. Um, in, in our church, we believe that same-sex relationships are not God's best. They're not the design that God originally had put in place. But we also believe we don't have to be like mean, nasty jerks about it. Um, so like, what would happen if I invited a friend who is LGBT to a true life service, we treat them like everybody else, all right? We, we love them, we give them coffee, <laughs> like they're normal, they're, they're people, and it's no different. The sin that they're struggling with is no different than my sin of not being able to stay out of the refrigerator or the pantry, all right? I'm just, I mean, let's just be honest. Let's just tell the truth. But it is sin, all right? But here's the other piece of it, because I could just sense, I read this article and I'm reading the comments that go after it, I could sense all of the Christians in the Christian universe rising up going, oh, what are we going to do? He affirmed same-sex marriage. Ah! How are we going to handle this? Our country's going to hell and hell, that's good. God will bless or not bless dependent on the choices that we make as individuals and as a country. Absolutely. But I want to just give you a picture. This is a really cheap version of God's throne. And when Rob Bell affirmed same-sex marriage, <clears throat> here was God's reaction. In fact, he's probably got nice big armrests. But right now in heaven, God is paying attention to what's happening here at True Life. He's paying attention to what happened, what's happening at thousands of church services 
in this hemisphere. He's already done a bunch of church services in another hemisphere. He's answering prayers. He's healing sick people. He's dealing with crisis. He's healing marriages and dealing with families that are going through divorce. He's dealing with families that have had death. He's watching everything that's happening on the planet and dealing with it the way God deals with it. And he's not even lifting a finger because he's God. And so I just want to say to you, man, like we don't need to freak out about stuff. It's not worth freaking out about because God's not freaked out about it. He's God. He doesn't, do you, do you get that? Do you understand? He doesn't need to freak out. He's God. And the same confidence we have that we can have in him sitting in the throne, not freaking out about anything, is the same confidence that we can have when we say, God wants to do something with my life. He's called me to do so. He has a specific plan and purpose. So even if I mess up, God's just going to be chilling. It's okay. You messed up. Let's, let's move on. Let's deal with it. Are you with me this morning? So no, I don't, we don't get to be a freak out church, all right? No freaking out here about stuff. God is on the throne. He's in charge. He's in control of it. So let's just trust him. Let's do what he's called us to do. Let's trust him with the rest. You with me? Amen? Amen. All right. So some things about idiots who've been with Jesus. You ready? Idiots who've been with Jesus give their whole lives to him. They give their whole, underline, circle, put a star around it, whatever you got to do, the word whole. They give their whole lives to him. All of it. And the issue for many of us, and I don't think we do it on purpose, is that we go, salvation, heaven, eternity, yes, I want all that. Jesus, give me that. I will take that. I'll even do church on Sundays. And then Monday rolls around and we go right back to being the same old person that we've always been. And I'm not even speaking to you about the condition of your salvation. Once you've received Christ, he's in there. He loves you. We're not, nothing's going to mess with that, all right? But I am speaking to the way you live life after that. There should be a change. There should be something different that happens inside of us. And so idiots who've been, because they notice these guys, number one, they're idiots, but they've been with Jesus. And idiots who've been with Jesus give their whole, everybody say whole. They give their whole lives to him. All of it. You don't believe me? Check this out. Luke chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart. Now, what, when Peter saw what? What had just happened here? These guys had been out fishing. They were having no luck at all. This is their livelihood. This is how they took care of their families and, and made money. This is, so fishing was important, and they were having no return on their investment. Jesus shows up. He says, go out to the deep water. Throw your nets out again. They catch so many fish that they can't get them all into the boat. And Peter says, he says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. So Peter knew it. God, I'm not qualified to be in your presence. I can't do, do, leave. You're too good for me, Jesus. That's, that's literally what he's saying. Oh, Lord, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And all the single ladies said, <laughs> I'll catch men. All right. <laughs> that needs to be your theme scripture if you're looking for somebody this morning. <laughs> I love that one. No, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about bringing people in to this new way of living, this new way of life. Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left. They left. They left. Everything. Everything. And followed him. So picture it. 
They see this miracle happen. By the way, the greatest miracle we can see today on planet Earth is when somebody who doesn't know Jesus starts a relationship with him. That's the greatest miracle that happens on planet Earth. So they see this great miracle happen, and they, Jesus says, hey, come follow me. I'm going to teach you how to catch men, be fishers of men. They pull the boats up on the shore. They, they, didn't even, they caught all these fish, and they didn't even do anything with them. They leave it all. And follow Jesus. Idiots who've been with Jesus, they give their whole lives to him. So am I supposed to quit my job? No. I'm just, what I'm saying is, you need to understand that he's the God of that too. But my marriage stinks. He's the God of that too. Stop trying to own it all on your own. Let an unstoppable God step into your circumstances and do miracles. Leave everything. What is that going to look like? That's scary. That's the point. It's supposed to be challenging. But that's where the fun is, man. The fun is in doing stuff God calls you to, and you're not even sure how it's going to turn out. That's the fun of serving Jesus. But, but, I mean, if we really went all in, like, wouldn't we have to, like, I don't know, get involved? Maybe. Would we have to give in the offering? Maybe. But wouldn't it just be fun to try doing the stuff God calls us to do and see if he shows up and does what he says he'll do? I'm telling you, it's actually fun. It's fun. When we were getting ready to launch True Life Church and we were going, how are we going to pay for this? How's this going to work? We got to raise $30,000. By We were at a point where we needed to raise $30,000 in about 45 days so that the ark would match it. And give a, that would give us 60 to launch, which by the way, is not, wasn't even enough. And would you believe in less than 30 days, over $50,000 came in when we were getting, that's fun. That's, that's why all this, otherwise we'd be doing church with a megaphone. <laughs> it's fun to trust God and people who've been with him, they leave everything and they just trust him. Most of, most of us like the salvation, the heaven, the eternity thing. We're not so into the cross thing. That's not the fun part, but I'm telling you, it actually is. Because the gospel is not about living a self-centered life. It's not. It's about living a Jesus-centered life. And that's what I'm calling you to today, man. And I just believe there might be a few of us in here. I can just sense that there might be a few of us in this little church body who are starting to go, you know what? I think I might want to try this Jesus-centered life thing. Like, what if that stuff he gets up and spews on Sunday isn't just preacher talk? Like, what if it works? I think I might try it. I think I might try, uh, instead of going to work with a bad attitude, angry that I'm there, I think I'm going to go to work tomorrow morning, thankful that God has provided a way for me to feed my family and pay my bills, and I'm going to look for an opportunity to minister to somebody else while I'm there tomorrow. God, I'll give you the next 24 hours. Just show me that you can use me somewhere during the next 24 hours. I'm telling you, try it. Because idiots who've been with Jesus, they don't care about anything else. They'll leave everything, all of their fears, all of their preconceptions, they just go for it. They go all. It's like, anybody ever watch poker on TV? I don't play. Too saved. <laughs> I'm kidding. I mean, I don't play, but I'm not too saved. What, what happens when you push all the chips to the center of the table. You're all in. You're all. And here's what I'm telling you, man. God doesn't want. This is the way most of us live our Christian lives. Okay, I'm saved. That's good. That feels nice. Here's two chips. What can you do with that, Jesus? 
you know what we need to do, man? We need to go, okay, God. All in. Whatever you want to do with me, do it. Idiot for Jesus. Don't care how it turns out. Care that I trusted you with my life. Man, if we do that, idiots who've been with Jesus, they give their whole lives to be with him. Number two, idiots who've been with Jesus become unstoppable. They become unstoppable. Don't you want to be a part of something unstoppable? Don't you? Doesn't that sound more fun than being part of something that might not work? I want to be part of something unstoppable. The early believers, they're wreaking havoc on the religious systems. No matter what you do to them, their movement gained momentum. You could kill them, they get stronger. You could persecute them, they get stronger. You could make fun of them, they get stronger. You could threaten them, they get stronger. The movement keeps growing. The movement keeps getting bigger. More people are coming to a life with Christ. They're finding freedom. They're finding hope. And the religious establishment is in an uproar. They're freaking out about this. And they've arrested some of the, some of the disciples again. They've thrown them in prison. And they're trying to figure out what to do with them. And this really smart guy by the name of Gamilio steps up and he says this. It's in Acts 5.34. He says, so my advice is leave these guys alone. Let them go. If they're planning and doing these things merely on their own, if True Life Church is planned and built on just a model or some ideas or some some great ideas, if it's just us doing it on our own, it'll fail. It will soon be overthrown. But if, I love ifs, but if it's from God, oh my gosh, what if starting a church wasn't just a cool idea What if it's from God? Yes, I'm bunny hopping because I'm that excited about this. It's Easter time. I don't know what else to do. But if it's from God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You may even find yourselves fighting against God. What? If it's from God, it's unstoppable. Nothing can get in the way. Nothing can mess with it. Our church, if it's built on a model or a personality or good ideas, I promise you this, it'll fail. It will fail. But when enough idiots for Jesus come together and say, we believe you, Jesus, and we're all in. We're all the chips to the center of the table. You can't stop that. You can't stop it. It becomes an immovable, unstoppable force for the kingdom of heaven on planet earth. Just, I'm just telling you, push all the chips in. Make sure one person shows up to Easter with you. And watch what happens. Watch what happens. Because it's unstoppable when enough idiots go all in. And I sense that there are some of us in the room today that are ready to go all in. You ready? We talked about last week what a partner in this mission looks like with us. That we'll do anything short of sin to reach people. That we will accomplish more with less. That we can accomplish more together than alone. That we embrace mega vision, but we'll never label ourselves a mega church. We, and that we will make a difference. And I'm just, I'm, I'm there, guys. Listen to me. I don't know how else to say it except. I'm just, I'm there. I'm to the place where I'm just, I'm tired of the too much me, not enough we Christianity. And I want to be a part of a family of people who push all the chips to the center of the table and go all in and just see what God can do with us. Because I'm telling you, it's more fun that way anyway. Don't you want to be a part of something like that? Come on, don't you want to be a part of something like that? If you don't... your existence in this church will be short-lived. I'm just telling you. As much as I love you, as much as I want you here, I'm just telling you. If you come for a while and you don't grab hold of this vision to help us build an unstoppable church, you'll get bored, you'll get mad at somebody, and you'll disappear. And we'll hug you and love you and wave bye-bye. And we'll keep going. Because it's unstoppable, baby. 
It's unstoppable. We will not compromise on these values. And if you're willing to be a big enough idiot to go all in on this with us, I can promise you this, God will use you. Raise your hand if you want God to use your life. I promise you he will. Just go all in. There's an author, pastor, preacher by the name of Erwin McManus who I love, and he, uh, he does this thing where he talks about what groups of animals are and what the label is for them. And I think Joel may have even talked about this. I don't know if it was up here or in one of our meetings or something. But you get a group of cows together. Everybody knows what a group of cows. Come on, Cecil County. What's a group of cows? It's a herd. All right. <laughs> I love you, Cecil County. I love you and your horses and your cattle. All right. I love this. I've lived in Cecil County twice for long periods of time, all right? I'm allowed to make fun because I've been there. But I've been delivered. (laughs) Crossed over to the Delaware side. All right. Group of cows, that's a herd. What's a group of lions? A pride. How about a group of crows? Anybody know what a group of crows is? A murder, good job. A, A murder, yes. Like, that's why they made the movie Birds. You seen that movie? Alfred Hitchcock, The Birds. Awesome. You should definitely read that or watch that movie. You could read it too, I guess, if you're into closed caption. All right. Anybody know what a group of buzzards is? Buzzards. A group of buzzards is called a committee. That's why we know that's why we'll never use committees here. Not happening. All right. A group of buzzards is a committee. Anybody know what a group of flamingos is? It's called a flamboyance. A flamboyance. I'm serious. It's true. There's one that's really interesting that I want to talk to you about this morning, and it's the rhinoceros, the rhino. Anybody familiar with the rhino? Rather large animal. Big animal. Here's some facts about a rhino. A rhino can run 30 miles an hour. That's fast for something that big. 30 miles an hour. But here's the problem if you're a rhino. You can only see 30 feet in front of you. So 30 miles an hour, 30 feet in front of you. So do you know what a group of rhinos is called? It's called a crash. Seriously. That's why. You know what, you know what I'm asking us to be today? A bunch of idiot rhinos. We are unstoppable. We are running together. We are pursuing this thing that God has called us to build and be a part of. And it doesn't matter what's 30 feet. We don't know necessarily what the next three years or five years or ten years looks like. We can't see 30 feet in front of us. But it doesn't matter what's in front of us because it's an unstoppable movement. God is doing something here. And whatever is out there better get the heck out of the way. It better get out of the way. That's a great place to clap and get loud and crazy. If we agree together that Jesus is calling us to make a difference, we'll become a bunch of idiot rhinos. Unstoppable idiots take risks. You hear me? They take risks. Unstoppable idiots lead small groups. They join serving teams. I talked to a guy this morning who served on the setup crew this morning, and he was like, yeah, I pretty much have no idea how sound equipment goes together, but that was fun. <laughs> and I love that, because that's why we have serving teams, because it's fun to serve the kingdom and build relationships and hang out with people. Idiot rhinos do stuff that might not make sense to the rest of us. I heard a story this last week of someone who's inviting another person from our church to come and live in their house to help them get a fresh start and get away from some circumstances and some situations. Now, most of us would look at that and go, that might not be the smartest thing to do to let someone come in your house. But I'm telling you, when when the Holy Spirit speaks and begins to tell you how to live your life and do things, sometimes you'll do things that might not make that much sense to everybody else. 
because you're just crazy enough to believe that God might actually want to use you to do something bigger than you could have done on your own. They take risks. How does God want to use you? It's in your notes. And I want you just to, the band is going to start to come up on stage. They're going to play softly. And I want you to look at your notes, whether it's on you version or the written notes that you have this morning. And I want you just to take a moment. There's a few lines there. And I, I'm just believing that in the next minute or two, God is actually going to speak to some hearts. And I want you to write down what he says to you. Because we've asked you a question there. How does God want to use you to partner with other believers at True Life? How? How has he wired you, gifted you to serve at True Life Church? By the way, we love crying babies because it means the church is growing. All right, so that does not bother us here. Actually, we should applaud crying babies. Keep having babies. Let's do it. All right. I like having babies because people bring you food. (laughs) How does God want to use you to partner with other believers at True Life Church? Just right now, maybe just take a moment, close your eyes, let the Holy Spirit talk to you for just a second. And if he says something to you, just write it down. Nobody's going to collect these, nobody's going to look at them, so your grammar doesn't have to be great, your spelling can be bad, it's okay. You can be an ordinary, unschooled, unlearned person, an ignoramus, an idiot, and be used by Jesus. In fact, maybe you are the top of your class, the most popular, the smartest, straight-A student all of your life. I have good news for you. God can still use you. But he specializes in using the rest of us. You hear me? Like, that's his thing, is taking broken, messed up people and doing extraordinary things with them.